Well, good morning. I'm uh, not Pastor Mark, has been made much of. Uh, Pastor Mark is on vacation this week, visiting family in California. And uh, to be honest with you, if, if you've known Pastor Mark for any length of time, I'm actually kind of surprised that he isn't here this morning. Uh, it would not be the first time that he would have come back early from vacation to be with his people. Uh, and so, uh, if you would, uh, he is watching now live. Uh, if you would, turn around to the camera and just say, wave and say, hi, Pastor Mark. We miss you, and we pray that you come back safely. It is a great honor uh, for me to be able to fulfill the pulpit this morning, and, and there's no better fitting verses than what Elder Brian read this morning. Um, and... It's not taken lightly here who fills this pulpit, but I want to be perfectly clear that there's nothing special about me. Uh, in fact, many of you know me and will attest to that. It is nothing that any man who stands in this pulpit preaches that is the power of God. It is the Word of God that is preached that is worthy of being pro proclaimed here. And that's what I hope to do this morning. And to be honest with you, today's passage uh, has been over the last several months become a great burden to me. And I almost changed what I was going to preach on uh, several times. It's because, as Pastor Mark has said many times from the pulpit, whenever you teach or preach a passage, God teaches it and preaches it to you first. And... As I was studying for this, I realized just how far fallen short I am from this passage. And part of me uh, found myself feeling completely unworthy to teach on this passage. So part of me and my selfishness was like, well, let me, let me pick an easier passage, you know. Let me pick on something that, that I don't struggle with. That's going to be a lot easier to preach on. But the fact of the matter is we all struggle with this passage. If you are a believer in Christ, you struggle with this. For me, it began with a feeling of unworthiness. I felt, as I came to this verse, that I would be unworthy to proclaim the gospel. But God reminded me through Isaiah chapter 6 that we're all unworthy. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah finds himself in a vision before the throne of God. And then the Lord, towards the end of it, the Lord says this in verse 8. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. You see, Isaiah was fully aware of his unworthiness. It was but a few verses before this in verse 5 that he is crying out, Woe is me, I am ruined. You see, Isaiah was going in service to the king despite his unworthiness. We sing about it today. We sing about much of it today. Our own unworthiness is not found in us. Our own or our worth is found in Christ. He is the one who has made us worthy. He is the one who is worthy of proclaiming. And there's another way. Sadly, a much more common way that we also seem to fail in delivering 
or living up to following Christ. Sadly, this is going to be much of the focus of the sermon today. Much of us struggle and we fail when we love ourselves too much. Or at all. So if you will, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. If you're able, I'm not going to do you guys like Pastor Mark has been doing you over the last several uh, couple months and read chapters at a time. We only have one verse today. So turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. God, I thank you so much for the reading of your word. God, I pray that today, uh, as believers gather here, Lord, as your people gather here, we would worship you in spirit and truth. God, I pray today that there's one or two or three here that do not know you, Lord, that today would be the day that you would change a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. God, I pray that today your word would become proclaimed boldly. God, I pray that you would change the hearts of your people. Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Many of you who have gone through discipleship or, or, or any kind of uh, uh, one-on-one growth here uh, at Grace Harvest has probably memorized this verse. It's, it's one of the first verses we have you memorize. Outside of Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 13, this is probably like one of the biggest theme verses of, at Grace Harvest. Why is that? All of God's commands are summed up on how to live our lives are summed up in this one verse. The more I study this passage, the more I realize really how simple God has made it for us. The, to be honest with you, I'm kind of thankful that God makes it simple for us. I, I'm, a, I'm a very simple man. Uh, I have simple understanding. You, you see, I, I, I have this condition. My mind is unable to understand the depths of God. It's, it's unable to understand all that God has done for me. This condition is called being human. And guess what? You have it too. We do not understand the depths of God. We, we, we cannot fathom our own salvation. We cannot fathom God's holiness. We cannot even fathom the depths of our sin. This is why everything God has ever done for Christians or for Israel in the Old Testament, has always been done in the simplest of terms. There is nothing that is hard to understand about God's commands for us. They're simple. We're going to find today the simplest of His commands is follow me. And we look at how we do that. Right here we have in this one verse, we have the simplicity of the gospel. Deny yourself. Repent. Turn away from your own selfish desires and turn towards God. Take up your cross. This means that there's no turning back. You may stumble and fall, but you will never turn back even under the hor- most horrible persecution. And then to follow Him. What is the purpose? Who did Christ magnify here on earth? He magnified the Father. So we follow Him. We conform our lives to Christ. And the more we conform our lives to Christ, the more we honor the Father. The more we honor the Father, the more Christ is magnified. 
This is so foreign to our nature. This is why God says we're being made a new creation. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is simple. And his commands for following him are even more so. Before we jump into this verse, I want to give a little background to it. Many of you have heard this verse quoted in itself, but what does it mean? To be honest with you, this verse doesn't mean a whole lot if we don't take the context around it. This verse is nestled right in between Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. And then right afterwards we see the the transfiguration. Even before this, Jesus feeds the 4,000. He has crowds following him. He then rebukes the Pharisees who are simply looking for a sign. And then we see something very interesting happen. Jesus travels to the region of Caesarea Philippi and there asks this question of his disciples. Who is it that people say I am? And he gets a lot of different answers. They say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people are saying you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he turns to Peter. And, oh, Peter, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter, in his magnificent, shining moment of brilliance, says, You are the Christ, the Son of God. Do not miss that. Another interesting thing happened at this time. Jesus starts showing his disciples that he must suffer and that he's going to go to Jerusalem and that he is going to be killed. But, oh, Peter, after this magnificent, shining, glorifying God, Peter opens his mouth again. And he takes Jesus aside privately, we're told, in Mark chapter 8, verse 32. And he says, God forbid it, Lord. I'm never going to let that happen. I'm never going to let them hurt you or, su- or make you cause you to suffer. You see... This leads directly to our passage today because Jesus' response to Peter, as we see in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, he says, He turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. And then Mark chapter 8, tells us, verse 34, tells us that Jesus summoned the crowds and the disciples to himself. And we find ourselves in our passage today. Often I, I want to be a Paul. I like to think of myself as a Paul in the Bible, right? I like the, everybody does. But I'm not Paul. I'm so much like Peter. One moment speaking out of, with shining brilliance to God's glory, and then the next moment speaking out of ignorance of things that I do not understand. But to finish our background of this verse. It was eight days later that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain of trans- and, and transfigured, and they saw Jesus in his glory. And they also saw Moses and Elijah. How great was it for Peter to see Jesus in his glory? So where do we find ourselves during this passage? Well, we find ourselves smack dab between Peter proclaiming Jesus as the Christ and Jesus showing himself in his glory. 
quite frankly, I think this is where we find ourselves here today. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Christ, you see the sermon is for you. We find ourselves between confessing Christ and then seeing Christ in His glory. The rest is up to us and how we respond. You see, the real question is, what do we do now? And it's real simple. We are to deny ourselves. We are to take up our cross daily. And we are to follow Him. The rest of Scripture, both the Old Testament and New Testament, simply expound on how to do that. They expound on telling us how are we to deny ourselves. It expounds with examples of people bearing their crosses, of saints bearing their crosses. We'll talk more about that later. What does that mean? But this is where we find ourselves. We're commanded to follow Christ. This brings us to our first point. I'm what? Just for the sake, I'm working through this passage backwards. Rachel did not put everything backwards in the notes. Uh, she, she confirmed that with me. She thought I did. Um, but I want to I make a note to that. Even though I'm working through this passage backwards, you can't separate these three things. You can't do one and fail at another and have accomplished anything. These must be accomplished together. And the first point is to follow Christ. Now, what does it mean to follow somebody? In, in order to follow somebody, you would want to at least have a general sense and idea of where they are going, of their ideology, maybe their beliefs. You, you would want to have a general sense of what they are doing. What, what, what am I going to have to do if I follow you? You're going to have to have a general sense of, uh, uh, in order to participate in what they're doing. You have to believe in their cause. And so when we look at the context of where Jesus was going and what he was doing, we can begin to glean great understanding as to what Jesus is telling the people they must do. Because remember, what was he just explaining? He was just explaining, I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to die. And then he turns to the people and says, follow me. Brothers and sisters, there is no other context for this. And this scripture can be translated no other way other than meaning follow Christ in all that he did. Christ is saying, if you follow me, when they are singing Hosanna on Sunday, you're going to have to follow me when they yell and crucify me. On Friday, when they flock to you and hear the tr- to hear the truth and the wisdom, follow me. But follow me when they're spitting in your face and beating you with rods. My wife, uh, Lord bless her, we we just celebrated our tenth anniversary, and uh, she has put up with me that long, and. Uh, but my wife uh, used to work for a pharmacy, and she was a pharmacy manager for, for a couple decades. And uh, she was the only Christian 
in her store. And I know many of you have this, this same testimony. But she would come home and she would you know, tell me about her day. And so often I noticed that, that all the people in her pharmacy, they loved to come to her for advice when they were having a crisis in their life. They loved it. Why? Because she was of sound mind. She was a Christian. She, she made sense. It wasn't, it wasn't some off-the-wall, unbiased interpretation. She was giving biblical sense, something the world desperately needs and lacks. But let that crisis abate in their life a couple of days later, and how would they treat her? They would mock her, make fun of her. They wouldn't want anything to do with her. And I know many of you have that same testament, have, have experienced that yourself. But why is that? It's because she was called to follow Christ no matter the circumstance. Her circumstance of whether they were coming to her for advice or whether they were spitting in her face should not determine whether or not she followed Christ. You see... The awesome thing about my God I serve and the amazing thing about my King is He did not say, do as I say. He says, do as I did. There is nothing that Christ did not go through. There is no humiliation. There is no persecution that He didn't go through that He hasn't asked us to go through also. He's already done it. You see, Christian, our King humbled Himself to come down. And not only for our propitiation of our sin, for the, for the salvation of us, but also to be our example. He told us to come after Him because He went before us. And if you are His today, He has gone before you in the next life. And we will go see Him in glory. And here we stand a week after we've celebrated the Lord's resurrection. And I say to you, what now? Well, brothers and sisters, Christ says, follow me. It's really simple. It is the simplest command we can ever be given. Look, just follow me and do what I do. How do we know what Christ did? Well, you have to read it. I remember uh, my daughter about five years ago, we used to have a neighbor that lived behind us that he was uh, the typical city man that came out and bought a large well large to a city person it was like 60 acres and he just he bought a couple dogs okay and the first thing they do is they go, I have 60 acres surely my dog won't go off that property what's the first we we laugh, we laugh in the country yeah right okay what's the first thing that dog does it starts coming over to my yard well this dog is not nice and it's rather mean and it gets into fights with my dog and starts causing issues. And one day my daughter was out front and I could see the dog coming through the, the woods in the back. And my daughter's out front and I'm yelling at her, get inside, get inside. And she's just looking at me like, oh, you know, oh, what? Get inside. And I'm, 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 you know, torn at this point. Do I run out and grab her or do I, you know, go get the gun? What's going to happen here? And many of you, y'all, you guys that are parents, y'all understand. We had to have a, so we had to have the conversation afterwards. I, I was like, Anna, 
when I call, when, when mommy and daddy call, you need to listen and come because there might be imminent danger we're trying to save you from. Brothers and sisters, Christ is doing that to us. He says, follow me and follow me closely. Why? Because the enemy is out there and I am saving you from imminent danger. When you're following Christ at a distance, guess what? You're in danger. The world hates you, Christian. Satan is a roaring lion, lion walking about, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. He's not going to steal your soul. He is, you are Christ's. But guess what? He can ruin your testimony. He can make you ineffective for God. Christ is calling here, saying, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Not at a distance. Follow me here. There is danger. You see, I'm reminded of the parable of the ten virgins. All ten of them confessed to be awaiting the groom. If you know this parable, what happened? It says they all fell asleep in the middle of the night. But when did the groom come? He came in the middle of the night while they were asleep. The important thing is not that they had fallen asleep. The important thing is when he came, only five of them were prepared. Now I ask you, are you following closely to Christ? Are you following Him at all? Will you be prepared when He comes? Or will you be one of the ones left out? I want to tell you the, the, the hard thing about that parable is at the end the door is shut. And they were out. Brothers and sisters, today is the day. Not one of us is guaranteed even this evening. Right now is the date of time to follow Christ. This leads me to my second point. We are to take up our cross daily. Now there are a couple misconceptions that uh, have arrived from this statement. And we're going to talk about some of those. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to take up your cross. What does it mean to be a cross bearer? But first, I want to give some context to this to gain understanding of actually the practice of crucifixion because it is so uh, intently tied to what we're talking about. I'm not going to go into detail about how it was done and, and all that, but just to give you an understanding and to put into perspective the controversial statement that Jesus just made. It is easy for us really, because we live on this side of the cross. And if you are a Christian, the cross has a completely different meaning. Yes, there is horror and there's, there, there is uh, an understanding of the pain and, and everything that went with us. But if you are a Christian, there is also great blessing and hope in that because it was the means of our salvation. But Jesus didn't say this after the cross. He said it before. And I want you to know that it did not fall on deaf ears. 
everyone under the Roman rule would have known exactly what was meant by taking up your cross. The, the crucifixion was not invented by the Romans. In fact, many nations had used this and used variants of it for a very long time. But the Romans had kind of perfected it. We talk much in our Sunday school class about Pax Romana as we're going through Acts. Pax Romana is, is Latin for Roman peace. And it was the pri primary purpose for using the crucifixion. Now, Roman peace is basically be peaceful or we will make you be peaceful. That was how Rome ruled. Therefore, the, cru the crucifixion was a public display and it was reserved generally only for the hardest of hard criminals and rebels against the state. Those who are, uh, are, are, uh, are conspiring against Rome and the hardest of criminals. Kind of gives new perspective to the two thieves on the cross, right? These weren't just some petty thieves. Understand that Rome would not have wasted resources of the cross and all that for two petty thieves. They could have killed them in any other manner. These two men were hardened criminals. And yet God took one of them on the cross and changed a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. What an amazing testimony. I love the sermon. It's actually become one of my, my favorite sermons. I think it's one of the greatest sermons. It's a sermon given by Alistair Begg. Many of you have seen it. The man on the middle cross. When that thief gets to heaven, he talks about this. I say I'm the same way. When I get to heaven and somebody asks me, why are you here? I'm just going to simply say because the man on the middle cross said so. I have nothing in myself that I did to deserve heaven. In fact, even as a Christian... I have done things worthy of God's wrath and eternal punishment. Yet God's grace and mercy is more. And I'm so thankful for that. But it gives context. The cross is not, was not a common manner of death. It was deserved, it was designed to keep the peace. We see... There were three parts to the crucifixion. And we see them displayed in, Jesus's, uh, in the account of Jesus being crucified. This is by Michael Green. It says, Normally, in the Roman era, the process of crucifixion began with the flogging until the blood flowed. Then next, the victim would have to carry the transverse, or the, cro the, the cross beam of the cross, to the place of execution. This all coincides with the way Jesus was crucified. Notice the public displays. They were publicly flogged. They were publicly made to carry the cross, the cross beam through public streets. And then they were hung on the cross in the view of the public. And I want to tell you something. The cross was not a quick death. Oftentimes it took days for someone to die. I want you to understand this. Because we look at Scripture and we teach and we read Scripture in context. There is not a first century Palestinian Jew that Jesus would have said, take up your cross daily, that would not have understood the horror that that entailed. They have witnessed it. 
now we understand that, let's look at some of the misconceptions that we have today. Taking up your cross signifies the common struggle and difficulties we face in everyday life. This includes your job, your health, your mother-in-law, your wife, your husband, your kids, your general aches and pains. How about that lingering sinus infection you have? Or your allergies this time of year. And I can go on and on. With what we've just known, do you really think that the Jews thought were thinking of those things when Jesus said, take up your cross? I don't think so. Brothers and sisters, I think we can rule this one out. Bearing your cross, these are not things of bearing your cross. They are simply symptoms of being human in a fallen world. There's also the opposite idea. The opposite extreme says that, well, if Christ says we have to take up our cross, they mean it, we have to take it literally. You have to take up your cross and you have to follow Him to be crucified is the only way to salvation. Well, this is absurd for two reasons. For one, we're not told that Jesus ever, at this point, that Jesus ever told them that he was going to be crucified. He simply says he was going to die and suffer at the hands of the Jews. The second thing is, crucifixion was banned in the 4th century. So if you take this stance, there's no real Christians since the 4th century. I don't know what we're doing here, if that's true. What about even the saints that we have in Scripture that we see executed? We have Stephen was stoned. We have James who was killed by the sword by Herod. Did they miss out? No, I think not. So what is the correct view of taking up your cross? I think MacArthur puts it best. He says, Thus, when the Lord declared that anyone who would follow him had to take up his cross daily, they understood perfectly what he meant. In the most graphic terms possible, Jesus was calling for a willingness to endure hatred, hostility, rejection, reproach, persecution, shame, even the most horrible death, to say no to self and no to safety for his sake. This is a small sacrifice to pay for the gift of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, how far are you willing to go to follow Christ? That's what Jesus is saying. How many people were left following Christ when he was on the cross? All but one disciple even abandoned him. They fled in fear. We're told that in Acts that they were hiding. John alone was there with Mary. We see thousands of people following Christ and then all of a sudden thousands of people turn and say, God, Jesus, you're, 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 you're telling us things we can't do. It's too hard. How far are you willing to go to follow Christ? We, we live in a country that up until this point has been very easy on Christians. It's not so in other parts of the world. It's not so, there are other parts of the world where if they found out that you were a Christian, you would be killed. 
I tell you, we are called no less here in America to take up our cross than they are in China or North Korea or anywhere else. And there's going to come a day in this country, and we see it, it's starting to happen, where you may be persecuted for your faith. We've already seen, especially in Canada, where pastors are starting to be thrown in jail for preaching the truth of God's Word. Preaching against sin. How long do you think before that's going to happen here in America? I guarantee you most of us will see it in our lifetimes. Are you willing still to follow Christ? When they come knocking on your door, when they tell you, you can no longer do this, or we're going to imprison you, we're going to take you from your family, how far are you willing to go? Are you willing to take up your cross, no matter the consequence? The last important point to this, to this point, take up your cross, it is to be done daily. I don't want you to miss that. That is probably one of the most important things in this whole passage. This isn't something that you do one time going out in a blaze of glory. This is done through the consistent living, following Christ every day. It has to be the consistent daily attitude of the believer. God, I messed up. God, help me. Help me to live for you today. I failed yesterday. God, don't let me do it today. Let me restore my relationship with you. It has to be a consistent daily attitude. It leads me to my third point. We are to deny ourselves. I think this point is perhaps the hardest to follow. It is for me anyway. I said in the introduction really that there's two reasons Christians fail to follow Christ. The first one was what I explained first off was me not feeling worthy. A lot of times we let that hinder our walk. That we feel so unworthy to follow Christ and to do His work that we just don't do what He's commanded us to do. And all of us struggle with this second one. We fail to deny ourselves. You have to remember, you're not worthy. Christ is. This one, we refuse to deny ourselves. Most of you have not even gotten to the unworthy part because you so struggle with this one, with denying yourself. You, however, are not alone. Every Christian has struggled with this. But I want to make it perfectly clear, because I've used this as an excuse. We all sin. You know what I've used that as an excuse as, as a Christian? To keep on sinning. Because we can't be holy, God, right? So it's okay. It's not okay. God has nowhere in Scripture ever said it's okay to sin. He says, be holy as I am holy. But the amazing thing about our God is, when we do sin, He says, every morning, my grace is renewed. His mercy is more. We are called to holiness. We are called to follow Him. 
first off, we need to understand what Jesus meant by deny yourselves. The Greek word here that is used is used quite a bit throughout the, the New Testament. It most often is used as a term about denying Christ. It pro- most prominently is used by Peter when he denies Christ three times. It is also used for Israel in Acts chapter 3, verse 14, when Israel denies Christ. It's a rather strong term that can have meaning as far-reaching as disavowing someone or disowning. But here we're commanded to deny ourselves. The very reason we are given this command is because it is the self-centered attitude and nature we had that caused us to be enemies of God. You see, the very heart and root of all evil is not the love of money, despite what the world tells you. It is the love of self. This teaching that Jesus is teaching goes completely against what the world wants you to do. The world is telling you to go for it. Believe in yourself. Live your best life now. We have the top ten secrets to a happy life. All you need to do is just indulge more into what your wants and needs are. Or how about this one, the worst one of all? Just trust your heart. Scripture tells us that the heart is an idol factory. It was our love for self that got us to the point that we needed a Savior. And this is another thing. Let us not ever blame God on Judgment Day because we are somehow found self-righteous. You want to know where self-righteousness gets you? The wrath of God. The only saving righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. R.C. Sproul says it best that if for some reason he ever found out when he got to this point in his life that he didn't get into heaven, he said there's two types of people in heaven, the wailers and the gnashers of teeth. He said, I would be a wailer. He said, because I, would have, I should have known the truth. But there are also those who would be gnashers of teeth, those who would still, even in judgment, shake their fist at God and say, God, why did you do this to me? Brother and sister, God didn't do anything to you. You rejected him on your own. It is only by the saving grace that we can even come to know Christ. You see, denying oneself is an act of worship. I uh, So many of y'all uh, who've been here for a long time know this. Some of you don't. You're a visitor. I used to play bass and sing on the worship team over here. did for a very long time. And when Pastor Kyle would introduce a new song, it was usually some old hymn. Okay? And I'm a rock and roll guy. All right? He would introduce some hymn, and I would go, oh, oh, this is horrible. The music is is so slow and boring. What was I doing? I was not denying myself. I will tell you, though, some of those songs that I so despised at first have become some of my favorite songs. Why? Because I started singing the words. 
And I started realizing why Pastor Cal chose that song. It's because of the great truth in the words, not the music. Music means nothing. If we had no band, no, no nothing up here, we would still lift our voice in song. The sad thing is, how many of us just want to be entertained? That's what I wanted to do when I initially would come to hear a song on, on Tuesday night. It says we were practicing, and I would be like, Ugh. I just wanted to be entertained. I wanted to play good music. This is, reminds me, I watched a, uh, a part of a performance. I could not bear to bring myself to watch the entire thing of a performance by Mike Todd's church on Easter Sunday. I will tell you that it was anything but God-honoring. We have to recognize that worshiping God is about worshiping God, not ourselves. Do we come to be entertained? There's a reason why we don't have flashing lights and smoke machines or we even uh, started using just blank back backgrounds for our slides for the music. Why? Because it's not about us. It is about God. I'm not here up here to preach against a, a, a church that uses lights. That's, that, that's fine. But where is your heart? And only you can answer that individually. Are you worshiping God or are you there here to be entertained? Why did I suddenly start to like the music? Again, I started singing the words. And I came to realize that there is deep spiritual truth in those words. And that is worship. Declaring the truth of God and praising Him for it. It's not just about worshiping His song. Let me hit something a little closer to home here. How many of you have checked out of the sermon right now? I'm getting towards the end. And you've started allowing your mind to wander. Where am I going to go eat after this? What am I going to do this afternoon? Oh, I have to get ready for this. I know you are. It's okay. I hate to admit, you don't want to get in my mind and know how many times I've sat back there and listened to Pastor Mark and done the same thing. But sadly, it comes down to me not denying myself. Am I more concerned with what's going on in my life than I am about hearing God's Word and applying it to my life? Some of you are following a religion instead of following Christ. Some of you selfishly refuse to be baptized. Some of you come to worship as long as you don't have anything else to do on a Sunday morning. Some of you selfishly stay home and watch from home. I'm not talking about Pastor Mark today. Because it would be an inconvenience for you to be a part of the fellowship. Hear my heart. I understand that there are many of you in here that have stayed home because you literally can't be here. But if you're just using it because it's easier than to be here, you're not denying yourself. How many of you build the church around your life rather than building your life around the church and God's people? Brothers and sisters, 
We must be a people marked by consistently denying ourselves, even to the point of disowning ourselves, our old nature. Paul says this in Philippians 5 through 7, 3, 5 through 7. He was circumcised on the eighth day, the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. That's through verse 6. Paul is saying, I was the man. If anybody could earn his salvation, it would have been Paul. If the law saved, Paul wouldn't have needed Christ. He kept it that much. But he doesn't end there. In verse 7, he says, But whatever these things were gained to me, whatever all of this keeping of the law, keeping of myself, keeping according to this, all that did it gain, and it gained Paul a lot. Paul was very much an influential person in the Jewish, in the Jewish society. Whatever it gained him, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. If we are to follow Christ, we must have completely abandoned self. It is no longer about us. It is about Him. As I conclude, uh, I want to make a point again, as I did in the beginning, that these things cannot be separated from one another. You cannot stop following Christ and still deny yourself. You cannot deny your, not deny yourself and take up your cross. And you can't stop taking up your cross and follow Him. You can't do it. You have to do all these things. And I want you to note that we cannot work our way to salvation. These, this verse is not meant for an unbeliever of how to get to Christ. This is a Christian saying, this is how you, what you should look like. Jesus says, when you follow me, you will deny yourself and you will take up your cross. These are evidences of belonging to Christ. It is not a suggestion. You can't take these three things apart. They must all be done together for they are eternally and intrinsically linked together. You cannot break one. And I beg you this morning to ask yourself this question. Are you doing all three? Are you denying yourself? How far are you willing to take up your cross to follow Him? And how far are you following away from Christ? Are you following closely to Him? Or are you trying to follow Him at a distance? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I have one question for you this morning. Are you following Him? Believer, you cannot lose your salvation, but your selfishness can severely hamper your relationship with Him. God is full of mercy. Call out to Him. Seek forgiveness. Seek for a restored relationship. But God doesn't just say, do that. His command is no less evident. Follow me. Perhaps Christ is now removing the scales from your eyes. Maybe you are seeing the truth for the first time. Know this, that the King of Kings is holy. 
This means he is completely separate from sin, can have nothing to do with it. It cannot be a part of him in any way. Well, what is a sinful man to do? How are we to be a part of him? The fact is, there was and then nothing, and and still is nothing that we ourselves can do. But God, being full of grace and mercy, sent His Son to become fully man and fully God, to live a perfect life without sin so that we would be able, so that He would be able to be that sacrifice that would appease the wrath of God forever for those who believe. You see, it was on that cross that Jesus took the wrath of God that was stored for every believer that was or ever will be. It wasn't the cross. It wasn't the crucifixion that crushed Jesus. Many men had been crucified. It was the wrath of God that killed Christ. That wrath that had been stored up for you and me. But it doesn't end there. And on the third day, He rose from the dead, resurrected to life. And now He sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for those who believe. You see, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. When the Father looks at me, looks at Zach Turner and all his filthiness, He doesn't see me, He sees His Son. You see, until you turn to Christ, God's wrath is bent for you. Scripture says you must repent and believe. Repent, realize that you are a sinner against a holy God, that you have been a self-worshipper. Turn from that. Deny yourself and worship God. Then take up your cross knowing that for believing, the world will hate you and persecute you. There is no easy believism in Christ. If that is your decision today, come make it public. Pastor Brian will be standing up front in just a moment. Maybe God is working in your life in a way that I could never understand. Perhaps God has called you to be a member here at Christ at uh, GHBC. Come let Pastor Brian know. I thank you for the mighty work, oh Lord, that you have done today. Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you for revealing your truth to me. God, I pray that your word would edify your people. Lord, we thank you because you are worthy to be praised. It is in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please come as Pastor Brian stands up front.